This is the Made It in Music podcast, show 125. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you are with me on the Made It in Music podcast today. We've got an amazing show with Dean Deal, who went from being a high school band director to senior VP of marketing at Provident Label Group. This is absolutely important stuff if you're an artist trying to get in the music business. And this episode's all about helping the music find an audience. That's what Dean does, and that's what he does so well. So many great quotes from this episode. He didn't even know the music industry existed at the beginning, and you'll get to hear his story with that. And he also talks about one of my favorite parts of the conversation was that a lot of young artists see Christian music or really any niche genre like Christian music as a stepping stone to get to another one. And he talks about how that is absolutely not the path that you should choose. So we dive into exactly why that is. He gives a great answer for that. And we also talk about how most failures in the music business look exactly the same, but every success, on the other hand, is a different story. So probably my favorite thing in this interview is that we're going to dispel the one key metric that labels do not want you to know. Really, really cool. So stick around to that. And before we jump in, I wanted to introduce a couple friends of mine, a couple new faces to the full circle music world, and you guys will be hearing from them and seeing them soon. But I'm here with my friend Dan Weeks and his brother Willie Weeks. Hello. Good to meet you. They are the two brothers that make up the band Gold Top, multi-talented producers, instrumentalists, songwriters, just all around amazing guys. And as you can tell, they're, well, I don't know if you can tell, but they're not from around here. I think the accent is distinctly different. Uh, we're from London. <laughs> so, uh, man, you guys you guys have been here for a couple of weeks writing for your new project, which is going to be coming out in the not-too-distant future. How's the weeks been? Well, the weeks, no pun intended. Ah. How have the weeks been? I know it's been kind of intense, but... Extremely fun. We've had a lot of fun meeting people, just writing, stocking up on the songs, and yeah, it's just exciting for the future, definitely. So tell me, what is Gold Top all about? Gold Top is, uh, yes, fun music. We've got freedom to, to try stuff. We've been loving coming here with FCM and Nashville and collaborating with different artists and pulling on the things that they love, but... Gold Top, we're about, yeah, guitars rocking out and um, great hooks and putting on our uh, our musical influences, which ranges from everything from, yeah, classic rock to funk and, yeah, all sorts of, yeah, it's been it's been really awesome just building some really cool songs recently, yeah. Yeah, well, I know the artists that you've been working with always speak so highly of just how different it is what you guys bring, even, yeah, the funk and old school influences to a modern pop thing. It's definitely not old school, but uh, what you guys do is really cool, so... For the audience out there, you guys are going to get to hear exactly what that's all about here in the very near future. Before you do anything else, hit pause and follow them on Instagram. That's at Love Goldtop. So we are going to jump into the interview with Dean Deal 
And make sure you stick around because he shares a massive mistake that taught him how to ask the right questions. So take notes, kids. Well, Dean, thanks for being here in the studio. We're here at Full Circle Music on the Made It in Music podcast. Appreciate you uh, making the trek down. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Yeah. Um, for our audience that, that doesn't know, Dean is the head of uh, marketing at Providence Label Group. Correct. Yes. Did I say that right? That's that's right. VP of marketing? Well, it would be senior VP. Senior if we, VP if of we marketing. we were keeping track. Okay, we are keeping track. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um, man, I just want to jump right in. What was the moment that you earned your first dollar in the music business? Wow. See, it's so funny. This whole idea, like even made it in music. I never felt like I made it in music. I'm a musician. Mm. I was a band director, nerd, shorts, megaphone, banging two drumsticks together. I did that. But my career has always been in marketing. And I've always been fascinated by marketing. And I market music, but I, in a weird way, I guess I don't think of myself as making it in music. Well, you have, you have a career yeah. in, in the music business. In the music industry, yeah. on the business side. Yeah. So... A lot I mean, of people never make it to that level. So, it, you know, yeah, yeah. a and lot I, of people think, you know, when, making it in music is being the artist on the front of the stage. But, I mean, you and I both know that there's a lot more opportunity out there than that. It is the proverbial tip of the iceberg. The, the people that are making the music you see and the people you see are this. And then the people, for those listening and don't have the visual, I am holding my fingers about two inches apart. Uh but then the, all of that that you would see, like so much of the icebergs underwater are all the people it takes to help that music find an audience. Because otherwise, you're just making music for your mom. And, you know, um, without that sea of people that make things happen, nobody hears the music. So my career has been that. I guess my first dollar as a musician, I got paid to play a wedding as a trumpet player, playing like one of those dorky classical trumpet things while people walk up and down the, the aisle and I screwed yeah. it up royally and all my friends were <laughs> laughing at me but I got 50 bucks and some toenail clippers you know why so, toenail clippers yeah. I don't know it was the weirdest gift you know sometimes <laughs> at a wedding they'll take the wedding party and the people involved and they'll give them a little gift and it was just I still have it and that's like 35 years ago I still have this thing a little leather case with a nice set of toenail and Nail clippers. That's incredible. <laughs> so I guess better than pizza, you know. So you got into it as a musician? I did. I never meant to have a career in the music industry. To be honest with you, I never even knew something like the music industry existed. I never thought about it. And I wanted to be a band director, and I taught band for three years. Didn't really like it. And I had this conscience this crisis of, I thought my whole, I spent my whole time in college, I want to be a band director and it's not working. So I got a job selling print music at a company called Brentwood Music. I was selling print music to churches and the president of the company heard me doing a pitch and I sold this guy. It was like, yeah. it was awesome because it was in September and I made him panic because Christmas was coming. I sold this guy an entire musical, all the books and everything and he hadn't even heard anything. But I just convinced them, man, you're too late. I need to send this to you now. So if you like it, you've already got everything. Because if you wait till you find out if you like So anyway, the guy heard me, the president company heard me selling. He's like, oh, no, we need to have you doing something else. So he moved me over into marketing. And it's like 20 years later, I was the senior VP. And I never meant to have a career. It just 
I just, it was like a snowball yeah. rolling down a hill. It kind of just happened. So it, yeah. When, when did it enable you to go full time? Like, what was your first moment that you were like, okay, this is how I make this $50. I mean, that, and toenail clippers, like you're not paying your rent off of that. But when did you first, like, what was your first situation or job that enabled you to essentially just focus 100% on music? Well, I moved when I left the band directing thing to go become a salesman for the print division at Brentwood. That was a full-time job, and I moved in it full-time. Um, so I guess maybe a version of the question is, when did I start to see that as a career versus yes. a job? Yes. Never. <laughs> Never. I, I just kept doing the next thing, and... You know, you know my full story, which is I actually ended up leaving the music industry to teach college, and then they brought me back and I do both. Mm. But part of the leaving to go teach college was it never felt like a career. It felt like this is what I do to make a living. And I was always a musician on the side and doing those things. And I, I really see myself as a teacher more than anything. Mm. And so even as a, a VP of marketing, I viewed myself as a teacher. I was always giving my team books. There was... If you ask anybody that worked for me ever, they know I have a standing thing. Man, you've got a book. I will always reimburse you for a book. Mm. Always. Yeah. Because I think you have to constantly improve and read and grow and learn. And mm. So I've always seen myself as a teacher. So I, I know it's a lame answer, but I don't know that I ever really saw it as this is my career. This is who I am now. Yeah. yeah. I just was like, what do you need me to do now? I, this is fun. I like this. I'll just keep doing this. Sure. Sure. That's good. Um, so... You know, a lot of people, again, think of, well, we'll just use that tip of the iceberg analogy, but you're in a role where you're helping artists essentially make it and helping artists make their careers. So how have you helped or how are, are you currently helping artists tour and make a living doing music? You know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I don't even remember when I did it. It has to have been years and years ago. But you ever been encouraged to write a personal mission statement? Yeah. yeah. So my personal mission statement, and I tried to find one that would incorporate who I am as a husband, as a, a father, as a professional, as a teacher and all that stuff. Was there some sort of a mission, some way I could see myself and define myself that covered all of those areas? And it really was to help people realize their dreams. Mm. You know, for my wife, for my kids, for the artists I work with and the people that work with me at Provident, my students at Tribeca, it's, it's, what are your dreams? What are your goals? What do you want to do with your life? And I've always had an ability that when I hear the answer to that, for some reason, it's like I can see a path hmm. of, all right, so what, what would it take to, to make that come true? Most of that has been artists telling me what they would like to do with their music and where they would like to see their music go. And sometimes it's like you have to help people fine-tune their dreams a bit. It's like, you know, I don't think that dream's going to come true. Mm. Let's find a dream that we can find a path. Yeah. You know, what are what are some, I guess, specific examples? Not, not you have to name names or anything, but what are some specific examples of that? That somebody will come to you and say this, and then you'll be like, well, maybe not. Like, is there anything that you can... There's a lot suggest? of young artists that particularly in working in Christian music, there's a lot of young artists who see Christian music as a path. Like, it's really hard to break here. This has a lower bar, bar of entry, which I think is becoming less true all the time. 
you know, um, being that Christian music, Christian music is just easier to, to break out and become yeah, big. Yeah. There's the perception that that's true. It's really not. I and mean, it's very difficult. It's just difficult in different ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, totally. Um, I mean, it's a lot harder to get mainstream pop airplay than anything on the planet. But that doesn't mean that it's, it might be easier to get airplay, but making it easier to build a career. Mm. There's a whole lot of things you have to do as a Christian artist where the bar is really high. Yeah. But I have a lot of them that will say, I want to start here and then I want to take a path and hopefully end up over here in mainstream. I really want to be a Christian in mainstream and singing it. I'm like, this is not a path that happens. <clears throat> and when it does happen, it tends to move songs through that path and not artists. When we, you know, I don't, you know, you've been around for a lot of the big crossover songs in one way or another, and a lot of times it's not artists that cross over. Very rarely do we see an artist start in Christian music that ends up in something besides Christian music. Songs take that journey, mm. and so I've had a lot of artists. I'm like, that's just if that's your dream, you need to find someone else because I've just never been able to find success moving artists that have begun in this genre to another genre. And and I guess that's because there's no formula to that, right? Like, there's no formula to anything. There are no formulas. Yeah. Every artist finds the path that they find to success. Let me put it this way. Most failures look exactly alike. Mm. People make the same mistakes. They fail for the same reasons. Every success I've been a part of is an entirely different story. Mm. Every path to success looks completely different. And so when someone looks, what did you guys do with Casting Crowns? You know, we thought we'd sell 50, 75,000 units back when we talked about units. And we end up selling two million. So you don't plan that path. That path just happens, and no artist will ever take that path again. That was their path. So if you're not measuring success in terms of units now, what? How are you measuring that? Man, that's from a marketing perspective. That is a really good question. We talk in terms of consumption. Are people interacting with the music? Because we monetize now. We monetize behavior, listening behavior. We don't monetize people actually purchase behavior. There's practically no purchase behavior left, but we monetize when you listen. So now we talk about consumption, and the word consumption meaning how are people listening to the music? Because we monetize just about every way uh, that that you can listen to music. Somehow we're getting paid for that. So we have to back away. And one of the frustrating things is Billboard then takes all of that consumption and tries to convert it into an album purchase. And it's ridiculous. That's like trying to look at computer activity going how many typewriters would that be <laughs> right right what it's like for the for the purpose of and that's all for the purpose of a chart correct yes and, and but you know it's like they're always trying to find some way to turn apples and oranges and grapes and bananas and you know kiwi into apples so we can talk about how many apples it was i don't I, and as a business professor i agree we have to convert but why convert to that formula that's dead we already have a conversion basis. It's called dollars. Mm. Yeah. So we should be talking consumption. The problem is labels don't want to talk in terms of dollars because people will see the dollars and think, well, now they don't understand. Yeah. People don't understand. Like people will think that labels are just in it for the money or what, what do you mean by that? I don't think people ever understand that if an album, it's like you hear about movies are a good example. Uh, I worked on the movie War Room. We did $70 million in box office domestically. So someone thinks that the Kendrick Brothers got a check for $70 million or that Provident Films got a check for $70 million. And there's no question, if you do $70 million box office, people are making a lot of money, but they're never making as much money as other people think. Yeah. And so when you see 
the consumption on it, particularly in the Christian music, they might look at that artist and go, boy, these artists are all getting rich. Well, you and I work with a lot of these artists, and some of them do very well, but I don't think you could say that they're getting, very few of them are getting rich. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, and so, so is it a little are, bit of self-protection? Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't mind complete transparency on the chart showing exactly converting it to dollars and saying this is how much consumption in dollars this song generated. Other people aren't as comfortable with that. There's always a tendency to back away from talking about the dollars. They want to put some neutral measure that people don't really know. That's what really it means. strange because that's not just Christian music, though. No, that's I, everywhere. I've never seen a music. I guess if if you read Billboard and follow some of these stats, you can you can see what people's tour sales are grossing. Yeah. But there's not really a chart per se for okay, how is this artist actually playing out on paper? Yeah, and, and that, that just seems to go all the way back as long as we've been doing this. There's a reluctance to talk about how much money. You know, every other company, that's what you put out an income statement. It's in dollars. Right. It's like a scorecard, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like I, I, uh, Apple can't put out a stock report saying, yeah, we, we sold phones. Right. 11,000 units. 11,000 phones. Yeah. No, how much money yeah. is involved? But in the music and in the internet, you know, even in uh, films. Like, I know the box office. We post box yeah, office numbers yeah. on films. Everybody yeah. talks about box office numbers. But and you nobody get into, seems to have a problem with it on Christian yeah, movies. but you get, exactly. It's a bragging In fact, right? it is. It's like people go, well, it, well, praise the Lord. That movie was seen yeah. by so many people. Exactly. But in, in music, there's always been this reluctance to talk in terms of wow. dollars. That's so fascinating. Isn't it weird? I don't, I don't get it either, but yeah. that's the way it is. Well, I want to jump in. You, talk, yeah. you, you, you hinted a little bit earlier at this, but... Um, what one book do you most commonly recommend to people? Well, it depends on the person, but probably the one I do the most because of what I do is a book called Creativity, Inc. by a guy named Ed Catmull. And Ed was one of the founders of Pixar. And his job was, you got John Lasseter, who's this creative genius running around with all of these ideas and stuff. Every creative genius is surrounded by someone who figures out how to channel that energy into something that produces something that can actually be consumed and generate revenue. Mm. And Ed's book, you know, it's like, it's one of the most successful creative companies of all time. And part of it is they get the content right. Yeah. You know, yeah. how many times if you've ever watched, I'm a sucker for bonus features on Pixar films to yeah. watch the process. And they, a lot of times they take it to a point where most people would stop mm and say it's good enough, and they just keep going. Mm. So in that environment, how do you deal with deadlines? How do you deal with budgets? Because I know as a company, your company philosophy can't be just do whatever it takes. Mm. There is always a cost-benefit analysis. There is always someone that's got to look and go, at some point, guys, we got to deliver a movie. At some point, we have to stay on a budget. We have to make a certain amount of money. And Creativity Inc. is about that process. How do you manage the creative process where it stays creative and you get excellence, mm. and yet it's done in a way that can meet deadlines and stay on budgets and generate income? And I feel like Ed's got some really good advice yeah. on how to blend those two worlds. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, Luke from For King Country, um, that was a book that kind of held us together a little bit in their creative process on, on the last record, because some records are hard to make, and that's, that's right. part of the deal. I'm glad that you recommended that one. We talk about failure a lot on this show, and, and failure really only turns into something valuable if you learn a lesson or it affects the the, the path of how you do things. So is, do you have a favorite failure that comes to mind that you maybe just learned something 
just a, a big takeaway from? Do you have a favorite failure? I've got lots because anybody that's ever done anything has failed a whole lot more than they've succeeded. It's just your successes have to be big enough to cover the, the failures. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you one of the earliest ones because I learned probably one of my best lessons. I was just starting out and I was making that transition from being a sales guy to actually they gave me my own division. My job was they sold a bunch of music in Christian bookstores and stuff like that. And they were like, well, we've got all this other, we've got this content that could sell in other places. So they created a new division called the gift division. And I was to sell music in stores that didn't sell music. So I got invited to the big management retreat up in Gatlinburg. And they would go up there for four days and plan for the year. I got invited for one day. I got to come in on my day and present my budget. And I was a brand new division. So I laid out my budget for the team and everybody was raising around. I was going, you really think you can do this in the first year with this new division? I was like, absolutely. I've run these numbers. I can do this. That's impressive. Okay, great. And so we got, so the guy that was my boss, VP of sales, Don knows, pulled me aside and he goes, those were retail numbers, weren't they? I was like, well, yeah. And he goes, you do a budget based on wholesale. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, if you sell a CD or at that time cassettes yeah. in a store for $15, what we earned as the label was usually like eight or nine dollars of the 15. Mm-hmm. I had created my entire budget on the assumption that we had $15 wow. per unit. Yeah. And I needed to have built the budget on $8. So every unit I showed sale, I overstated by $7. Wow. So Don looks at me and he goes, What are you gonna do? <laughs> And I said, I'm going to hit those numbers. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to go in there and tell them I just created an entire budget based on the wrong thing. Um, so lesson: ask questions. Mm, that's ask good. questions. I just I was young and cocky, and I, here I am. Yeah. You know, the, the youngest guy on the getting invited to the Gatlinburg trip, and I screwed it up really now. I also worked my butt off and hit those numbers. Sure. I yeah. did. We made that budget. Well, that's that's impressive in and of but, itself. But <laughs> that you had, man, to, I you had to essentially double perform. Yeah, yeah, really. But it's just like, I have got to ask questions. I can't just assume that what I know is right. And I started from that day forward, man. I am a que- I ask a lot of questions. Now, how should this be done? Can you give me examples? Can you show me what it is you're asking me to do? Hmm. I learned a lot. I'm glad I learned that one early. Yeah. Because I don't think I could have survived that particular mistake too many times. Yeah, that's good. So think back pre-career, pre when this when this thing uh, was was paying your your bills and, and making a living. What was the number one thing that was holding you back from pursuing a career in music? if there was one that you can identify? I think I had to let go. I always felt, all right, one of the things I say, and I don't know how religious we get in this particular podcast. Whatever's true to you. For me, I think sometimes we think God's job is to make our dreams come true. Mm -hmm. I think God gives us true dreams. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between making my dream come true and God giving me a dream that he has for me. Mm-hmm. My dream for myself was to be a band director. I had started from the age of 16 thinking this is what I wanted to do. And from that time forward, man, I was working band camps. I was doing band arrangements. I went to a school. I was volunteering to do uh, staff at three different high schools. I mean, I went after this career mm-hmm. as a band director. And, it, and I went and did it for three years. 
and had this horrible moment where I realized this is all wrong. This is not, I don't, this isn't right. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And before I could move on to the next thing, even though I had moved on to the next thing and I was making a living, while I say I never really saw what I was doing as a career, I did have to let go and be okay with the fact that this wasn't plan B Mm. and that I hadn't failed but I had stumbled into something that I was good at and enjoyed. And how many people get to make a living doing something they're good at and that they enjoy? Yeah. So yeah, for me, totally. the, the big step was letting go of my dream to embrace another dream that had been laid out before me. Mm. That's good. And do you, was there kind of a moment that, that that happened or was it a more of a process over time? Uh, boy, I think it was a gradual awakening to the fact that I you know what? I would never watch the movie Mr. Holland's Opus, mm. which I don't know if you ever saw, but it's it was a phenomenal this movie. guy that spends yeah. his entire life as a music teacher at a, a little high school mm. and gave up on all of his big dreams. So I couldn't watch the movie because it ripped me apart. Like, is that what I was supposed mm. to do? If I walked away, is that what I was supposed to do? Mm. And at some point in my life, I looked at it and went, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I love what I do, and I'm good at it. And they're paying me well to do it. I'm getting to work with some of the top artists in a, yeah. a genre. Yeah. yeah. So I had to come at peace with that God's plan was was better. That's good. That's that's really good. I'm glad you said that. Because I think a lot of people are, you know, when you get into music, you have all these, these uh, ideas of how things are going to be. But I think just being open-handed and knowing that, hey, we're, you know, music's the, th- the reason why both of us are in this industry in the first place. So whatever we get to do around it, whether it's supporting an artist or being on the stage or, or, or support, the fact that, like you said, we get to go into work and get paid for what we do. That's a, that's a good perspective. Well, as the Beatles said, there's a long and winding road. Yeah. And what you have to realize is no matter where you are on that road and no matter how old you get and no matter how wise you get, it winds. Mm-hmm. And you can't always see what's around the bend. And you can't always see, why am I going through this? We always see these movies and these stories where people persist in a vision or a dream beyond all reason. And it turns out that was the right thing. Mm. That's not always the right thing. Sometimes your dream stinks. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie from Disney Tangled. Uh, yeah. Where the guy's like, yeah. you know, good luck with your dream. And, and the bat, you know, the, the crook, the Flynn Rider guy's like, thanks. He goes, not you. Your dream stinks. <laughs> You know, Mike Donahue used that. That credit goes to Mike Donahue. He I love uses it. that. But sometimes your dream stinks. Yeah. Sometimes being that persistent beyond all reason with the dream is just wasted time. Mm. And sometimes you just have to trust that you're on a path and you can't see around that bend, but that when you see around the bend, somehow at some point it's going to make sense. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's talk about um, what is one thing or, or, or a few things that are working for you right now? You know, it's interesting. A lot of the day-to-day marketing, I've uh, got Brian Deshaun is the VP of marketing over at Provident. And I, I really am trying to hand the reins off um, and and really bring along. Everybody should be in, in, if you're in business, you should be looking to replace yourself. Mm. Always be investing in somebody younger than you, always being investing in somebody older than you, always be receiving from somebody older than you, always be receiving from somebody younger. Mm. Sometimes we only see that go one way. We invest in somebody younger, we receive from somebody older. I've learned from you. Mm. I receive from you. Mm. You've received from me, but you know what I mean? It goes both ways. Yeah. 
And so we should always make sure we're giving and receiving both directions. Um, but so I'm, I'm investing that, but my relationship with the artist has kind of changed. Instead of being their marketing person, I find myself more and more, there's, there's four or five of the artists that we're calling and we're just talking about life and we're talking about um, God and we're talking about theology and we're talking about these things that as songwriters, I feel like they need people that they can talk these things through and mm. talk about their songs at a deep level about where do we think that song's going to connect with people and how do we, what's the right way to make sure that connection happens? Mm. And so I find I've, I've, my role has changed. I used to be the guy that would come in and razzle dazzle and here's what we're going to do with your record and build confidence that the label knew what they were doing. Mm. It's much more of a one-on-one mentoring about the journey of life. And there's just, you, you, as a songwriter, you know, there's just universal ideas that no matter what you believe or where you are in life, there's universal ideas that transcend all of that. Yeah. And trying to push artists towards those transcendent ideas, like that's a good idea. But is there an idea here that would help the song relate to a, a larger group of people? Mm-hmm. So it's weird. And I don't consider myself an A&R guy because it's always from the marketing side about my job is to make your song connect to a large number of people. You would really help me do my job if you could elevate that idea to sure. something that would connect yeah. to a larger group. Yeah. So, man, you hit on something for a second that I'm just, I know, struck a nerve with a lot of people probably watching right now. But this idea of training somebody to, to take your job. Yeah. Like, how do you manage fear with that? Because there's got to be this element of like, okay, well... I'm technically mentoring somebody beneath me. What if they take my job and then that job isn't there anymore? You know, it's a weird thing. When I moved out of the business world full-time to begin teaching college, something in me, a switch flipped, Hmm. where me accomplishing something has no interest. I really don't have any interest in that whatsoever. I've done... As a marketing person in our industry, I've done everything that mm-hmm. I've checked all the boxes. Yeah. And I don't need to go back and I have no desire to go check them again and check them again. It's a, no, I don't have anything to prove. I truly find my highest fulfillment. If, if I can help somebody do what I do and they end up as senior VP of marketing and have my job, mm. that's like, that's success. Yeah. That is success. Because otherwise, then I've just, I've been this, at some point we have to grow up. You know, I know people that'll leave and they like, they hope they'll retire and they hope the company falls apart Mm. because then that'll be the final cap on their career that not only was I successful, they couldn't do it without me. That's, that is so immature and that is so weak minded. I want the company to grow and thrive because I helped somebody do it better than me. Mm. That's good. And then there is the fear, all right, so what am I going to do? I found out that if you've got curiosity and imagination, there's always something for you to do. Hi, this is Seth Mosley. You've been listening to the Made It in Music podcast. The show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone. Once again, make sure you go check out everything that Dean Deal is doing with Provident Label Group. And a quick reminder, as you heard in the beginning of the episode, to go follow our newest friends all the way from the UK, Goldtop at, at Love Goldtop. That's Dan and Willie Weeks. They were probably watching a soccer game right now. But anyway, we will see you on the next episode of the Made It Music podcast. As always, we'd love for you to check out the website, madeitmusic.com. Head over to the show notes page. It's madeitmusic.com slash 125 for this episode if you're interested in 
seeing links to some of the books that he talked about and a few other resources as well too. So we will see you on the next episode.